Hey guys, welcome back to The Big Bane Theory. So today's episode is a little bit different because we're just doing Q&As and these are questions that you have submitted and some of them are really spicy. So stay tuned. All right, this first one is a doozy. So it's actually two parts. It's two different questions, but they go together. So we figured we would answer them together. The first one is, what are your thoughts on porn in a marriage? Is my husband okay watching it alone? Do you think it affects your marriage? And the second question that was from a different person is, what are your thoughts on masturbating without your partner? Yeah, that's a really good question. First and foremost, I want to preface this by saying that I think communication is very important. So, you know, as long as you and your spouse are on the same page about this, then, you know, that's the first first and most important thing. In in terms of whether or not I think it's good in marriage, I would say absolutely not. And I can say that, you know, coming from a place of experience. You know, I was was addicted to pornography for a number of years, and I brought that into our marriage and it definitely had not only a negative impact, did it negatively impact bong, but it also was very negative for myself. And so that's something that, you know, when, when we talk to our kids about it, we always tell them, A, you should avoid it to begin with, but B, especially like, do not bring that into your marriage. I totally agree with TJ. However, there is one part that I disagree with, which I guess if you're okay with it, then that's fine. You do what's best for your marriage. But as a woman, I don't feel comfortable with TJ looking at other naked women and lusting after them. If you're okay with that, man, more power to you. But I'm pretty dang self-confident. And when TJ was looking at porn and was addicted to porn, it made me feel like the ugliest human being on the face of the planet. And I had to do a lot of introspection and praying to be able to feel self-confident again. So for me, I do have a negative reaction to pornography, but also from a science point of view, pornography is is just as addicting as heroin or crack cocaine. Science has shown that when people watch pornography, it releases dopamine exactly the same way dopamine is released when you use those types of drugs. So when it comes to our children, particularly our boys, we have talked to them about porn and how it can become addictive like a drug and how it messes up your view of sex because we've taught them that sex is a really beautiful thing. But what porn does is it shows these women who are so unrealistic. I mean, nobody is really riding their husband like a cowboy saying yeehaw with the cowgirl hat on, you know? I mean, maybe some people do. And that's fine. I mean, I, I think we have a couple times here and there. Yeah, say, but, don't pretend like you've never done that. You but pervert. not all the time. And it's not this like over-exaggerated moaning and groaning. And then also, I think like for the female body, we don't all look like these porn stars. We don't all have these big, gigantic fake boobs and flat stomachs and like, you know, these bodies that are just so unrealistic. And I think that affects the way men view women and also like their sexual objects. I just, I'm so against porn because I think it dehumanizes women and I'm just so against that. So that's just my opinion. If you watch it, that's, 
totally no judgment from me. But what I found for my, you know, life, that's not, I'm not down with that. And I don't like TJ doing that. So I guess we could jump into the second part, which well, is... I, I do want to add one quick thing to that. So to your point, it's not real. Like what you're watching on that that TV screen, those two people probably don't know each other. And even if they do, they're not in love. And And it's really all around lust, right? And sex can be entered into from a number of different places. But what I would say is if it's in a marriage, you guys are probably having sex as a way of making love. Sure, there's a little bit of lust involved. I'm extremely attracted to my wife. But if if we are having sex purely from a lustful perspective, it's not going to be nearly as beautiful or fulfilling as it is when we engage in it from a place of love. And I think that pornography really warps the mind and turns those people that watch it into very lustful people. And and therefore that goes into their sex life as well. I would also question whether or how often your partner is looking at porn, because I think a lot of men do not think they're addicted to porn, but they couldn't go more than a week or a month without looking at it. And I don't think they've ever challenged themselves to, to really realize if they are addicted to pornography, because again, it is addictive, literally like a drug. I Well, and I know that because I was in that category for a long, long time. I know that we had a question from a follower once about how you used to have a pornography addiction and how you got over that. Maybe we need to do that for another episode because I'm sure there are a lot of women whose husband may struggle with that, but that would that would be going into a deep dive, but we'll save that for another day. So let's hop on to the second part of that question, which is what are your thoughts on masturbating without your partner? So as it relates to masturbating without a partner, again, not to beat a, a dead horse, I think communication is super important. You know, if this is something that you think your spouse is not going to be okay with, then it's definitely worth having that conversation. I think honesty in a marriage is, is extremely important. At the same time, like it is our body, it is a natural process. And so I, for me, myself, I don't masturbate unless it is with my wife, but that's a personal choice that I've made and that's a whole conversation for another day. Um, but if I were to, like, I, I like to err on the side of communication and honesty and so it would be an open conversation that I would have with her. Well, when you say you you masturbate with me, it's it's more like it's our foreplay. Yeah. So that's different. That isn't masturbation, I don't think. Maybe it is because you're touching yourself. I mean, technically, I guess. I don't know if there's a, a scientific term for masturbation, but it's for us, it's foreplay. So TJ doesn't do it without me because for TJ, he likes to be able to have control over his mind, his body, his everything. Mm-hmm. And for him, when he masturbates without me, it's just more a loss of control of his own body. So it's more of a personal preference for TJ. However, for me... I don't have a problem with masturbation if that's something that TJ feels like he needs to do or, you know, if he did it all the time, it would really bother me, but he hasn't done it in a long time, right? So there are studies though that do show, and we'll have to go back and look them up, but there are studies that the more often a male ejaculates, then the less, um, the less able they are to achieve and maintain an orgasm. And they also... Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Premature ejaculation is something that runs higher in men that ma- that masturbate on a regular basis. So they're not able to go as long in bed. 
Well, that makes sense because when you're masturbating, you're only excited about your own pleasure. You're just chasing the orgasm. And you're training your penis to just go. Yeah. Rather than, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, But back to this subject. So again, masturbation for me is more of a physiological thing. My issue, as you guys have noticed, is more in porn. I would be fine with TJ masturbating if he was like watching videos of of us. But if, if, if he was watching other women, that's where I am not okay with that. And even when it comes to our boys, I remember our oldest is now 15, but when he was younger, maybe like 10, we were talking to him about masturbation and pornography. And we said, you know, but as you get older, you're going to want to masturbate, which at that time we were like, you're going to want to like touch your penis and stuff. And he's like, oh, why am I going to want to do that? That's weird. And we're like, oh, you'll see. But we said, you know, there's a time and a place for it. And we taught him what was appropriate. And even I think TJ took him aside when I wasn't around and said, "There, you know, you need to still have control of your body. Doesn't mean you do it five times a day or whatever the conversation was. But again, for us, masturbating, especially during those primal teenage years is very normal. And it's just the pornography that we are not okay with for our family. Yeah. And this is another conversation for another day, but there is a lot behind the ability to overcome that lust impulse and and to redirect that towards things that are, are more rewarding, that are a little bit better. And so I won't get off into the weeds on that, but we have had that conversation with Kaisen where I've talked to him about it because it can it can become a very slippery slope if you're not able to have a little bit of control over that. Right. Like any other drug, right? You don't think when you try it for the first time and you're going to get addicted to it and then it takes you down this path. I mean, we know people where their pornography addiction has taken them to cheat on their spouses because it just wasn't exciting enough. And that's the other problem I have with pornography too is sometimes these positions that these women get in and these things that they do, I'm like, that is so unrealistic. That's not me. So if TJ were to expect that from me, he would be sorely disappointed. I'm pretty boring when it comes to sex and um, I think- Well, you know what you like. Yeah, I know what I like and it works. And so I just feel like if you are a man who watches pornography and expects these crazy gimmicks and then you have a partner who doesn't give that to you, you might look somewhere else. I don't know. And again, it's it that when that happens, I would argue that- the sex has become more about lust than it is about truly connecting and making love to your partner. Agreed. So the next question, I'm sure TJ can answer well, but how should a woman initiate sex? Basically just come up to you and say, hey, let's do it. (laughs) I don't necessarily think there is a right or wrong answer to this. What I will say is from a man's perspective, nothing is more erotic and more more of a boost to your self-confidence than knowing your woman wants to jump your bones. Like there is something about that. So maybe it's in your own way. It could be verbalizing it. It could just be, there've been a number of times you've literally like, like the story we told about me vacuuming, I'm out vacuuming one day, you came out of the shower naked and you grabbed me and pulled me into the room. That was hot. So whatever and that hasn't happened since. <laughs> well, you've, you've initiated in other ways. Yes, but I don't come out naked while you're vacuuming, and we, our kids are too big now. Unfortunately, but the point being is, is 
whatever way I would also say you feel most comfortable with, like, cause you want to feel comfortable in, in how you do it. But I can tell you there's really no wrong way to do it. So yeah. You'll you, be happy regardless, right. but let's just give maybe some ideas. So you could maybe send a sexy text. Yeah. Maybe like, even if they're in the same house as you, maybe if he's just in another room, you send him a sexy text. Maybe it's like a little topless photo or just a text that says, Hey, I want to, jump your bones or you could get more vulgar. I don't know. Uh, you could literally just walk up to him, look him right in the face and say, Hey, I want to make love to you tonight. I mean, I that's- want that cock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's I good. don't think you can say that on this podcast is what I'm saying. I just did. Unless you're talking about a chicken. <laughs> Let's pretend it was just a chicken. <laughs> okay. Hey, I want your chicken. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm over here being like rule follower, like, TJ, we're going to get in trouble. And TJ's just over there breaking all the rules. Um, another thing you could do is maybe if he's showering, you can be naked, ready on the bed. So when he comes out, you're yeah. naked and ready. I'm just trying to give ideas on things that maybe I would do. I'm pretty much one that's like, hey, let's have sex. Yeah. Like I'm very much like cut to the point. Well, we're both kind of like that. We've got three kids in a busy life. So unless it's like a weekend and we just have some extra time, like there's not a, it's hard to be spontaneous. Foreplay can start when you first wake up, right? There's something to the building up and the climax of it. So that's a really great idea. Maybe it's while he's at work, you send him a sexy little text. Can't wait till you get home tonight with a picture of your, you know, yourself topless. Um, there's a lot of ways to do it, but it's, it's kind of building that throughout the day. And, um, and I think vice versa, speaking to husbands, I know this wasn't the question, but you know, think of it with your wife. Like you got to warm that in that you got to warm up the engine before you drive the supercar, right? You've got to, there's, there's ways with women you can start foreplay can start, you know, again, first thing in the morning through just little subtle things that are slowly building that anticipation. Okay. So the next question, what are your best tools to stop an argument when they begin? I think the answer needs to start off by saying, what is an argument, first of all? And then secondly, I don't believe an argument needs to be stopped. If somebody is feeling some way about a situation, it needs to be spoken. Communication is the most important part of a marriage, of a healthy marriage. So if you're trying to stop an argument, I would question, am I trying to not hear something that I'm doing wrong because I don't want to fix it? Or... What? Because an argument doesn't have to be a bad thing at all. It just means someone's comfortable enough to express the way they're feeling to you. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of defining what does argument mean? Because an argument for some people might be a civil conversation. For others, it's yelling, swearing, calling names, throwing pots and pans at each other. What I think, to your point, communication is extremely important. And I think, especially in a marriage, everybody wants to feel seen, heard, and and understood right? And so when it comes to having an, an argument, it's important to be able to sit back from almost like a third party perspective and really try to listen to what it is that your spouse, your partner is saying, make sure that they feel understood and heard before you then interject your point. Because the goal, and in my opinion, should always be that we're both able to express the way we feel we're both able to understand each other and then we can meet somewhere in the middle with the most important thing being that we love each other, right? It, this is a conversation that we're having because we love each other. I want to express the way I feel. 
I want you then to validate that you understand what I'm saying and then vice versa. I think we're getting sidetracked with the question. No, because this person wants to know how to stop an argument when they begin, maybe you guys get really heated when you have an argument and maybe what you need to do is say, hey, I love you, but I think neither of us are in the mind frame and we're too emotional to talk about this. Let's set it on the shelf for a minute. Let's talk about this in like an hour or whenever you feel ready because it could be one of those where you just feel so heated. And sometimes when you get really emotional, you feel very defensive. And I, we've all been there. Yeah, we've had to do that a couple of times. There have been some times where we've had to take a pause and be like, hey, let's wait a minute and come back and have this conversation. We're well, both a bit more. Hardly ever do we ever say that. We basically take a pause because we're annoying the shit out of each other. And then we come back in, in like a few hours and talk about it naturally. I don't think we've ever had a moment where like, pause, we need a break. But if you know that this is you, then this may be what you need to do. And then talk about it when, when the emotions are then normalized and then you can talk about it without feeling defensive. So, and we will, we have another episode coming that is how to argue the right way where it's a positive outcome for everybody. The next question is how do you not let the frustrations of life not get in the way of being intimate with your partner. That's a good one. I feel like it's a choice. Yeah. I feel like life is all about these choices that you make. I have three kids. I have a thousand businesses that I'm running. I have three Instagram pages. A thousand businesses? It feels like a thousand businesses. (laughs) But I make a choice at the end of the day that – that day is the day that I'm going to be intimate with TJ or making small little tweaks along the way. So you make sure you have time to spend with your partner. And I don't know if this question specifically means intimacy as in sex or just because there's other ways of being intimate, but wouldn't you agree that it's about making choices that you're going to choose something over something else? Yeah. And to take that a step further, when it comes to choice, when you think about it, we are We're meaning-making machines, and life happens. Things are just happening in life, but we're the ones that tell a story about what's happening, and that colors the way that we feel and we respond. And so we talk about the frustrations of life. Well, it's still a choice. When something happens, we still as human beings have the ability to determine how we're going to respond to that choice. And so to your point, I think it's important to prioritize intimacy first and foremost, but also understand that come together as a couple and understand that we're not going to allow anything that can happen in the external world to have a negative impact on our relationship. And so when we are going through hard times in life, we have to remember, well, those are just hard things that we're going through at the time, but we have the choice of whether or not we're going to allow those things to affect our marriage. And if you're waiting for your life to be happy and perfect, that's not going to happen. You'll never be intimate. You have to make the choice to be intimate and, and have your marriage and relationship be a priority through thick and thin. I would also say that, and I can only speak for myself on, so I'm key, I'm keen to get your, your feedback on this, but I know the intimacy and, and again, not speaking just of sex, but the little things throughout the day, the little hugs that we have, the little kisses, the little moments where we we connect in our own way. I think those 
have been very key in helping us to sometimes get through some of those quote unquote frustrations in life. And also share the frustrations with your spouse. Don't be at it alone. You're with a partner for a reason. If I'm frustrated about something else, I don't have to bear that burden alone. If I can vent to TJ about it, even if it has to do with him, there's something about doing it together, struggling together that brings you closer. Absolutely. So I hope that helps you guys a little bit. Okay, so this one is probably regarding, because they listened to our episode about depression, how do you balance sharing your depression with your spouse but not wanting them to worry? Well, first and foremost, I can go back to when we've gone through this a couple times, right? It's very, your husband's, your spouse is going to worry one way or the other because they love you and they want you to be happy, right? But knowing that your knowing that your partner is going through something difficult can be very helpful. For example, when you were going through your depression, at first, before we knew what it was, I was blaming myself for a lot of it. I had no idea. I couldn't, I didn't know why it was that you were not as loving with me or why you were more distant or why you were acting the way that you were. And so I just assumed that it was something that I was doing. And so there was, when you when you verbalized that to me and said, Hey, hon, I think I've got depression. It was like, Oh, well, that makes sense. And yeah, of course I was worried, but it, it helped me understand that it was something you were going through and, and it helped me not take those things personally. I guess this goes back to what I just said before about sharing your frustrations and struggles of life with your partner. Of course, they're going to worry because they love you. But now you guys know what the issue is and you can work on it together. And if you end up going to therapy, maybe you're in therapy like I went to, I was able to come home and share those with TJ and he could help me, not that I ever wanted his help, but he could help me change the thoughts that I was having. And it's crazy because so much of what I learned, I was able to share with TJ and I'm sure you've applied those in your life as well, but I know we've applied it to our kids. But I just think... The more your spouse knows, the better your relationship can be. I think not telling them, they've got to know something's going on. Whether you realize it or they realize that it's depression, they've got to know that something is off. And I bet they would much rather know that it's depression so then you can have that answer and move forward with trying to get better. All right. So this next one, I'm a little scared. Uh, I think I already know the answer, but the question is, what is your most common argument? We never argue. Because I am always right. <laughs> uh-huh. TJ and I pretty much only argue about two things. The first one is sex regarding sometimes I feel like I don't do it enough with TJ or at least he makes me feel like I don't do it enough. I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying how I feel. And that is where an argument can come. And it's not even an argument. It's just more my frustration with that. And then his frustration of me not understanding him and back and forth. And then the second part is we parent a little bit differently. We're very, we have a lot of common ground, but I am a yeller, unfortunately, and I'm very passionate. And so when I get upset, it's kind of scary. And my daughter and I, we are best friends. She's 12, preteen, yay. But we are best enemies as well. And so when we argue, and it we both are very passionate and very strong females, 
TJ doesn't know what to do. And sometimes he feels like he needs to step in and stop it. And then I feel like he's not taking my side. And so we're working on it. And I think he's learned, but he still will step in sometimes. You have to understand TJ's a peacemaker. Like he loves a peaceful home. That's his thing. And I like a peaceful home. But for me, I'm more like I need to feel everything that I'm feeling. So this is where our two personalities like are very different. But we've we've had to learn. We're still learning how to do this whole thing the right way. I would absolutely agree with those two things. Those are the, the two things in my mind as well. As it relates to sex, looking back on it now, I can see how I created that. And a big reason was was I was addicted to pornography. And also at the time, for a number of years, I was doing testosterone replacement therapy. And so I was always a horny, raging bull. And if two or three days went by where we didn't have sex, there was all this buildup and this 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 pressure and this tension. And so in retrospect, what I realize now is I was chasing that impulse and I was putting all this pressure on on you to be the one that relieves me of that horniness. And so during those years, because it went on for such an extended period of time, I could see how it really trained and put all that pressure on you. Fortunately, um, I've been off testosterone for years and I've, I've overcome that lust impulse and instinct. And so now it's, it's a much different thing, but there are still these little subtle, I can still see how it's taken some time for you to not be as affected by it as you used to be. What's the opposite word of exaggerate? Because that's, I feel like that's what you're doing. So when TJ was on testosterone, I don't know how much of it was lust. I don't think that had anything to do with it. He wasn't addicted to porn at that point. What happened was he was on test and testosterone does a number of things. Yes, it makes you horny and it gives you boners and all that, but it can make you freaking grouchy. And so if we didn't have sex at least every like two to three days, if it was like day four, TJ would wake up and I could just tell from the look on his face that he was going to be in a bad mood. And so then in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, I should have had sex with him last night. He's in a bad mood because I didn't have sex with him last night. So I trained myself to believe whenever he was in a bad mood, it was my fault. And then it would become really... I started to become really resentful because I'm like, why is it my responsibility? You're in a bad mood because you didn't get to have sex with me every two to three days. That's not fair. It shouldn't be on my shoulders to carry. And also, TJ didn't want to masturbate. So then it was on my shoulders to have to relieve that. And it was really unfair because even though, yes, I probably had an orgasm each time, it's still, I did it out of, what would be the word? Like I had to, not because I really wanted to. And it, it, it still sticks. Obligation. Yeah. Yes. Out of obligation. So it took me years. And even now, sometimes if he is in a bad mood, I will attribute it to that. Like even, I feel like just last week something happened and I was like, oh, no, it was something. And you were kind of in a bad mood. And in my mind, I was like, oh, it's because we didn't have sex last night. Remember? And then we ended up having sex on Thursday morning. Because you were kind of grouchy Thursday morning. So, and maybe it had nothing to do with it, but because I kind of have that like past experience that tells me that story, it's gotten, a, it's a thousand times better than it used to be. But man, that was rough. Yeah, it was rough. And I'm not proud of that at all. Um, in fact, that's one of the reasons that I've worked so hard 
over the past you know years to to overcome that because it's not fair to put that obligation on you at all. As far as last week, I don't think it had to do with sex, but I was glad that it happened Thursday morning. Of course, of course <laughs> you were. Hello, but I don't, I don't want to put that on you. Like that's something that you know, I, I really. Again, this is speaking to husbands out there. Like, I would really encourage you to think about that and think about just a little subtle things that you're, you know, if you are unable to control your lust, then you're putting a lot of pressure on your wives and that's going to impact your intimacy. But I know I'm not alone because I've talked to many of my girlfriends and it's like my husband was in such a bad mood. He's been in such a bad mood for the last few days. So, Finally, I had sex with him and then he was totally happy the next day. But it's like, it's not fair to put that on us. I'm not disagreeing at all. What, what, again, that's why I'm saying it's so important to learn how to gain control over that. But I will say, like, there is what's really hard is when there is a buildup down there over a certain course of time, there is a pressure buildup. And blue balls are a real thing. This is not to justify it at all. But what I'm saying is that does happen. And so as a man, I can empathize with it because I experience it. But what I would say is still, we can choose how we respond to that. Okay, guys, we're probably going to get in a fight after this. We're not in a fight. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we, we can have very good conversations about it now. And what's great about TJ is he is able to step back and be like, yeah, I was wrong. I should not have done that. Um, and if you're not at that point yet, it takes some practice to get there. All right. Next question. This is totally, totally different topic, but you guys know that we have moved a lot, a lot. We have moved a lot. At one point it was like six times in seven years. We probably moved more times in the last year than most people ever do in their life. That's true. That's true. So this question is how do you make and retain friends when you've moved for a new start? We need friends. Does anybody live in Charlotte and want to be our friends? <laughs> Just kidding. We are starting to make friends. It's really hard making friends as an adult. Yeah, it really is. Literally this morning, I was just having a conversation with my oldest and his friend. We were having breakfast together and we were talking about you know friendship. And I said, man, it's really hard making friends as an adult. So if you guys find friends that you really connect with, you got to be good friends to them and make that stuff last. Yeah, I want to start on the on the retain and then I I've got a quick quick story after that. But in terms of retaining friends, I think that's been something that I've done a very good job of. Um relationships are super important to me and so just because you move doesn't mean you can't still have a relationship with that person. We've got FaceTime, we've got Marco Polo, we've got phones, and so I think you still need to prioritize those relationships in terms of retaining as it relates to making new friends, the very first time we moved, um, we moved from Utah to Austin, and we had we had actually recently left the religion that we were a part of, and as a result of that, we actually lost quite a few friends. We had a lot of friends and acquaintances that distanced themselves from us, and so there was while I understood why I remember having this thought as we're getting ready to make this move to Texas. I remember thinking like, I can be whoever I want to be when we get to Texas, like the new people we're meeting, they don't know me. They don't know my past. And then, and then what dawned on me is, well, why would I want to be anybody other than who I really am? Because the relationships that I want to create here 
are relationships that I want to be built on people that love me for me and who, as a result, I will also then have something in common with. And so what I would say is that you have to put yourself out there, but you also, it's important to be yourself because A, it's hard enough to meet new people as it is, but you really want to attract the kind of people into your life that are going to love you for who you are and that you're going to have some type of commonalities with. What would you say, hon? So I was listening to Glennon O'Doyle's podcast and I just started listening to it a few days ago. So I have only listened to maybe three episodes and there was one episode about platonic friendships and it really, I really, really liked it because it talked about how as an adult, it is really hard to make friends. And unless you are proactive, you're not going to make friends. TJ and I both work from home. We have a lot of friends that we are, we are on our phones talking with via different apps and we've made some friends here in Charlotte, but unless you see the same group of people over and over again, whether it's at a church or at a basketball team you join or some kind of like extracurricular activity, you're not going to make friends. And it just made me realize if we want friends here, we've got to put ourselves out there more in situations where you see the same group of people over and over again. And that's why you have to put yourself out there with whether you join a book club or you join you know, a co-ed soccer team or whatever it is, because that's the only way you're really going to make friends. You're not going to see someone at the grocery store and automatically ask them to be your friend. The way that I've made friends moving here is you, I have this course that I'm building for my, one of my businesses and the CEO of that company and I have really hit it off. And she just happens to live in Charlotte. We actually went out to dinner with them last night. It was so freaking fun. If you're listening to this, hi, Ariel. Um, and then also moms in my neighborhood, like our kids are the same age. And so we've just become friends. And I'm also very proactive about being friends. I'm, I'm that friend who plans things. So I love to text them and say, hey, let's go to lunch or let's go to dinner. But I think as a man, do you think it's harder? Because you're not in charge of the kids stuff as much. So you probably don't see people as much. Yeah. I mean, I'm not interacting with, with our kids' parents as much, of course. I think it's really around putting yourself in environments where, where people have same things in common, the same types of hobbies. So if you're interested in hiking, you know, you find a club that goes on hikes. If you, like you said, the book club, if you're interested in reading books, it's, it's figuring out what are my hobbies? What, what do I really enjoy doing? And then finding groups in the local area that do that thing. You know what we should do? You know how we do a weekly challenge? Yeah. We should do ourselves a weekly challenge. We should go on that app that, well, there's that friend Libby app. was telling us about. It's a friendship. I think it's called Bumble. It's a yeah. friendship app and you can go on and you can see people who have your same hobbies and then you can meet up with them. My sister-in-law kind of, she's my little brother's girlfriend, but she's basically my sister-in-law. She downloaded the app and she's made a friend from there too. And she says it's super cool and you can put in like your hobbies and all that. I don't know. I think that would be a fun challenge. Like see who can make the most friends on Bumble. Well, not, yeah, but like real connections though. But it is so hard to make friends as an adult. So I would say put yourself out there as far as maybe join a local church if you're into that. Join um, some kind of group doing the thing that you enjoy, like a hiking group or a soccer group or whatever it is because you have to see the same people quite often enough in order to become friends. And also 
most people are pretty nice. And what Glennon was saying in her podcast too is assume that people like you. Because when you assume people like you, you go up there and you talk to them and then they feel liked by you. And then it's one of those like really awesome cycles that like you like them because they like you. And I think a lot of people are really insecure that other people won't like them. That's why they don't go approach them. But if you just automatically assume that everybody will like you, then you're bound to make friends. It's That's what I do when I talk to people. I just Me too. If you show up and you show genuine interest in another person, like they can't help but want to talk to you. Yeah. And that's also a good podcast to listen to if you guys are interested. It's the Glennon O'Doyle, We Can Do Hard Things. It's a really good podcast. Well, what did you guys think? Our first ever Q&A. We're going to keep doing these who knows how often, whenever we have time for it. But we hope that you guys liked it enough to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. It really helps us grow the podcast and help other people's people's other people live better lives. And as always, follow us on Instagram at the Big Bane Theory, where we have way too much fun, more fun than any adult should be having. Have a great day. Bye.